another segment of the Grassy Knoll. This is January 22nd, 2007, and those noises you hear for a change is not me. I think it's uh, Matthew going for some ice cubes. I'm not sure, but he, with us today um, are both um, Matthew Tartaglia, who you've heard on the show quite a bit, and Sophia Smallstorm, who was um, with us just a short time ago. She is the documentary filmmaker, uh, the title of which is 9-11 Mysteries. And, um, Sophia, I just want to ask you, um, I've often referred to the site as um, 911mysteries.com. It will get you there. But, I mean, are we supposed to formally uh, use the uh, 911weknow.com? Um, one is just a subsite of the other, so both will get you to 911 Mysteries. Okay, so um, all those who upbraided me about not using 911, uh, we know I can tell them to go, right? Yeah. Uh, beautiful. 911 we know, or Mysteries, or um, I might add another couple of domain names to that site. Okay, do it now, sure. Oh, do you have them? Uh, well, you know what? You're going to laugh, but I want to start 9-11 singles. I'm hearing for the idea. That's a great yeah. idea. So many people tell me they cannot date a regular person. <laughs> and there are men who have told me that they have been without a girlfriend for five years. You, you know, you have hit on a point that I think that no one has talked about ever. Uh, live or recorded, really. I, I mean, because it's true. If you were not with a mate at 9-11, at the time of 9-11, you have a popsicle chance in hell of getting somebody who can understand you. It's true. It just, it's so hard to understand somebody who's... It's like uh, trying to um, buddy up, you know, uh, warm up to somebody who's been through Vietnam and whatnot. Um, hard stuff. I want Sophia to uh, define what regular people are. <laughs> I was going to ask. Well, I was about to say normal people, but then I said, no, no, no. No, I, I would be out of that loop there. <laughs> happily, happily married. Uh, I would be out of the Abbey normal, the normal route. <laughs> you know, I never thought of that, but I guess that has become a real uh, defining issue for people in so many ways. And you've just brought up one I had not thought about. And, uh, shoot, that is something to think that has made that much of an impact, and it certainly has, hasn't it? It certainly has. Um, yeah. One of the things, <clears throat> go ahead, Sophia. No, I just find that, you know, there are always ways to improve things, and I have the best conversations with people all over the country whom I have never seen, males and females, and they are my family. They are my friends much more than anyone that lives locally because I've lost my friends locally since I started doing the movie and 9-11. When people run into me and they say, what are you up to? And I tell them I'm making a movie. What's it about? September 11th. And then I tell them it's the real story of September 11th, and they don't want to hear it. No, so, they don't. Yeah, so our community is spread around, and uh, we can't date one another because except on the phone. Yeah. But, you know, it's a fantastic idea. Am I here? I'm glad you like it. Am I here? Fantastic idea. Is this going to turn out to be a 9-11 chat line, too? Yeah. No. <laughs> um, there you go. We'll have a chat line and everything. Well, you know something? It's a shame, and I'm going to digress for one second. You know, not just the emergency workers like myself and the volunteers like myself, but can you imagine these poor Manhattanites? I can't even say the word. Manhattanites. Yeah, right. Thank you. Manhattanites who are being ignored openly. It is a open policy to ignore them. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these poor folks really need a, a singles line and a chat line or, or something. Uh, awesome. They are, you know, they're really being forgotten. Also, let me tell you what's happened, Sophia, with regard to what he said. <clears throat> First of all, it also reminds me that... Um, some of the good sources of what's going on down there it could be people like Tom Weiss who are in the New York uh, Truth Movement. And also um, we had on before, too, um, Diane Kleiman, who was um, a whistleblower in the U.S. Customs, who lives down there. And we never really touched upon that, but uh, it might be good to go and, 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 and talk to her because she is a lawyer. She's a very investigative, and I'm wondering what she might find out. Now, I say this also because in trying to get somebody on who will speak to the fact that 9-11 rescue workers, NYFD, NYPD, uh, EMTs from all over the place, um, have had health problems to the point of full disability and are being denied that from their providers telling them that the ailments they have are not in any way, shape, or form attached to 9-11. Now, having said that, 
um, I'm, I'm getting pretty good um, contacts uh, with folks up in New York, and one of them is also for the benefit of Matthew, who is kind of out there, a voice in the wilderness, who's having problems and not getting very far, as, as most solo acts will not uh, affect, because obviously you're one person. But there may be a, a lawyer up in um, New York who's handling, I guess, a class action suit, and we're hoping that he'll be in touch with Matthew soon. So we would like it. We would like to get people on the air that will speak to the fact that so many that answered the call on 9-11 are having uh, backs turned on them. Uh, Sophia, I don't know if um, we'll go to Matthew in a second, but have you gotten anything at all uh, in a positive light from those who served uh, down there during that weekend and after? I haven't had much contact with um, people from New York. Um, Matthew is actually the first rescue worker I've ever talked to. So, you know, okay. on the other side of the country, and um, I haven't done much hands-on um, interviewing of anyone in New York. But I'm very aware of the situation of the rescue workers and the Mount Sinai. Um, I think it's a screening program, and they right. found thousands and thousands. I think the last uh, statistic I read was something like 16,000 out of the 40,000 had shown up and been diagnosed with serious respiratory illness and other um, permanent chronic conditions. Absolutely. To be ignored. Very, very dangerous. Very, very bad situation. Um, I went to the doctors. Uh, we, uh, Keith and I had talked about this on the air, and the doctor told me this is one of the worst cases I've ever seen from uh, the pile. And that was five months ago. I'm still waiting for what? I don't even. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do next. You know, they call you, they tell you, well, if you have insurance, you know, go ahead and use it. Uh, if you have this, go ahead and use it. If you have that, go ahead and use it. And, you know, if you got insurance post 9-11, you're technically breaking the law. So it's very much, um, you know, when we need you, drop everything, hurry up and show up. But then afterwards, uh, good luck, you're on your own. Yeah, what are, can you tell me what your... Um health problems are? Sure. Um, the most pressing health problem that I have is that I have something called RADS, R-A-D-S, and that's a um, restrictive airway, uh, it, it's a restrictive airway disease. And uh, basically what happens is I had climbed, climbed into many spaces, but one of the spaces that I climbed into had a, a burst of uh, steam type of thing, uh, chemical, and it, it burned my lungs. And in the process of burning my lungs, my lungs were trying to um, coat themselves and protect themselves. And in that process, I'm, I'm drowning in my own fluid. Uh, my sinuses are beat. Uh, I can't sleep. Uh, you know, there's a lot of lot of things. What I've about the teeth over it? Right, uh, it's a pretty bad situation, and this is actually common. I am not the exception. I am the rule. This is what's happening. Now you've lost a, a colleague uh, to what took place that day, right? Yes. <clears throat> and this was an outfit from Southeast Pennsylvania that did answer the call uh, at Ground Zero. Yeah. All right, Michael, and I will just call him Michael, uh, who was not sounding so badly two years ago. Uh, is not faring very well, is he? No, he's he's, he's blowing out blood out of his nose now, and he when he sneezes, his head breaks up. You know, the sinuses all break open, and uh, all that junk up there is giving him massive, massive headaches, and uh, it's it's very hard for him to talk on the phone, to talk, to see bright lights, to to, to drive at night. Uh, it, it's a bad situation, and he was there much less than I was. So, Matthew, it's scary. That's um, a Would you? Is this from the chemicals you inhaled? Um, when I want to ask you something, because I was listening to the um, a Judy Wood interview yesterday about the electron beam, and um, there is a lot of argument about how hot. Um, the, how hot Ground Zero was and whether there was, in fact, molten steel running under there or molten iron. So since you were on the pile working, can you talk about how hot it was and this 
stuff that you breathed in, you told me it was steam and I, and it burned, so I'm assuming it was very, very hot, right? Well, it was in, in areas, it was so hot that you could not, even with a um, Nomex suit on, uh, which is a firefighter suit, you, you could not approach it, and that's 1,500 degrees. That suit gives you a, a working range in. And it was so hot, you just could not, you, you just had to work around it. And I think until October, if I'm not mistaken, October, there was a water stream that ran day and night. Uh, the there was indeed molten lava or whatever I'm, I'm saying lava I'm sorry molten metal or molten something that was clearly seen by myself and others and uh, it had a red glow to it it looked very much like metal uh, I've also have my own ideas about thermite uh, magnesium ribbon because you're talking about a fire that people could stand in the window and look out and wave for help yet they're saying that this melted the building and dropped it and I, and I can tell you as a firefighter that's not possible that's not possible I mean if you make a fire at, at camping and you put your hand too close to it, you can feel on your hands how hot it is, how quickly. And that's nothing compared to what it takes to melt metal. Right. So you are you a firefighter? You the wood on fire for five minutes, and that's going to melt. I mean, come on. Sophia, hold up, Matthew. She wanted to ask you something else. Sure. You are a firefighter. You're not just a rescue worker who showed that's up. That's correct. I am a registered with Federal Emergency Management Agency uh, critical, critical Incident Stress Debriefer. Uh, firefighter, high angle rescue, uh, a, a, a fast team. That means that I, I rush into at the last minute when the firefighters who are stuck in there and try to rescue them from perishing. Uh, I have a lot of training, yes. Okay. Now, when you encountered this molten metal, I'm sure everyone who was there was talking about it, right? The molten metal? Um, the people who saw it, yes. And what were the discussions? What Weren't people trying to guess how that had happened? Were they thinking it was the jet fuel that did it? To tell you the truth, a lot of people did think it was the jet fuel. At the, at the time, I, I, would, I would say for the first couple of weeks, really nobody was talking about uh, conspiratorial things. Uh, we were just so overwhelmed by what was happening. We had a hard enough de time dealing with what could potentially be real, you know, just a face value real. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, people went home for their breaks, people went home and talked to other people, it started dawning on us that something was wrong. But as soon as you talked, if you talked the wrong words, if you will, you were gone. They suddenly had enough people. Can you, if you what I'm saying. Can you give me an example of saying the wrong thing, what you just referred to? Sure. Uh, let's say that you come out of a, a room that you were uh, allowed, you were given access to, and you saw firefighters breaking into an ATM machine, and you walked out of the room and you said, God almighty, I can't believe those firefighters got away with half a million dollars. Guaranteed, you're not coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You say, jeez, uh, <laughs> did you see that guy stuffing his pockets while the other guy was getting arrested? Boom, you're not coming back. What is that in reference to, Matthew? That you wouldn't be coming back for. Matthew, what's that in reference to when you say uh, somebody's stuffing stuff in his pockets? Oh, I'm talking about uh, watches. I'm talking about uh, money. I'm talking about uh, items off of uh, uh, dead victims. And you're also talking about looting, and there was also the situation about not wanting to mention uh, some of the a uh, ATMs that were uh, exactly broken. Okay. Machine it did. Okay. Sorry. They broke it open. We had viewed the film, and I did not say a word about it until after the fact because I knew that I would not come back. All right, I have a question also, if you will, and I want to let everybody know now, too, uh, for the remainder of the show, uh, feel free to ask questions of, of either individual uh, by email. You know it's um, visigoth.hotmail.com uh, by MSN. 
IM service. It's Visigoth. I just want to throw this one in while we have a, a little moment. Uh, this individual from Illinois stated, 9-11 Mysteries is a great movie. I watched it this weekend. Also glad to hear Matthew back. I hope he's doing better. So thank you, Bill, from Illinois. What I wanted to ask you, Matthew, was, uh, and you've stated this once before, but I'd like you to do it for uh, uh, Sophia's purposes. Uh, a lot of people want to hear about the fact that um, there were a number of um, uh, rescue workers, FEMA, whatever, down in New York City on 9-11 in preparation for a, a terrorist exercise on the piers of the Hudson on 9-12. A lot of them say, well, if they really wanted, and they may not have, and the they means whoever pulled off 9-11, wanted to create maximum havoc, why have anybody there to administer to those who uh, are survivors and such? And, Matthew, you did uh, give us a reason once before. Uh, would you recite that, too, uh, uh, for us now? Sure. Um, it's my opinion, and, and from observation and thinking, that only one of two things could have happened. One, it was a complete and entire setup to make it look like, hey, we were doing our job, somebody took advantage of it, and thank God we were there. Or there was the worst, absolute worst uh, operational security of the training uh, done. The information was leaked out. And I don't mean the day before, a week before. I'm talking about a good period of time before. And the hijackers themselves took advantage of it, knowing full well that there wasn't anything that anybody could do about it. Now, when you say hijackers, are you being hypothetical? Yes, I am. I am saying hijackers in the most broad term possible. Because as you well know, and if you don't, you will now, uh, in America... Any crime you commit technically falls under the National Security Patriot Act. And you can be held without charge and without limitation of time. No, yeah, no habeas corpus. That's it. Go on. Bye-bye. Uh, also, um, Sophia, with regard to 9-11 and... Uh, we, we don't have to spend much time here. It's just something that I did come across uh, this weekend, and I think it's probably um, an honor to you that this took place. And that is, uh, how long has that uh, Screw 9-11 Mysteries been out there? Do you know? Oh, I think it's just been out for a week or okay. ten days. So two, two weeks it's been out. All right. So, okay. I looked at Arnis and looked up there. Did you, uh, uh, did you force yourself to endure the two and a half hours? No, I haven't looked at it yet. Okay. I heard that a lot of it is just making fun of um, the movie. It's not um, really taking the movie apart. And another thing you have to remember when you make a docu documentary is that it's not a big paper with loads of footnotes. So you say something which, in another mm -hmm. situation, you could have three pages of footnotes explaining. Right. But you can't do that in a movie. So you have to make the best choice possible in your narration and in your selection of video. And the thing, as an aggregate, sends a message. And so if you take it apart, you can find all kinds of things to say about it. Because it's an, how do I say this, it's an abbreviation in a way. It's only 90 minutes. That's it. And if I'm going to give a panoramic picture in 90 minutes, Things have to stand for things. For instance, in a screenplay, all the dialogue has double meaning, practically. Absolutely. You never waste time writing a screenplay in a movie. Nobody walks into a room and says, hello, Matthew, how are you? The scene starts with something of substance. You assume the guys come into the room and said, hello, Matthew, how are you? Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. You don't get, done, you don't get involved with mundanities. Exactly. And you can't footnote a movie. So I expect that that movie will be very, um, how do I say this, uh, whatever, the, the critique, will be meaningless because if you take the con take it out of context, it is meaningless, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The Bible itself is meaningless without taking out of context, so you, I, I agree with you. But I would also like to throw something in there, and that is this. I think that it's fantastic. I, I think that you don't actually really get any kind of uh, real recognition until somebody 
gives you a criticism. Yes. That's when you really start to make a difference because then people start talking about it. Well, if this is this, then what about that? What if, and if, if hypothetically uh, A was to occur, then C surely would follow. And my hope is that people will, more people will come out and critique the movie or even, quote, criticize it because all it does is show that you're listening to a person who is a self-proclaimed, what did he call himself? A hobbyist? What? Yeah, a, a demolition hobbyist. <laughs> now, I've been searching my soul for the word demolition hobbyist. What do those words mean? If I was anybody in charge, I'd be looking at that fellow right there as a nut job and a potential old loose cannon. You're talking uh, about you Brad? I'm You're sorry? talking about Brad? Oh, yeah. Opens the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, well, Brad is a friend of mine, and he, um, ever since he was young, was fascinated by controlled demolition. So his hobby was to study demolition. So that was it. I mean, how do you explain that quickly? Well, you, you, know? you say a hobby uh, uh, researcher. Wait, well, demolition who? hobby researcher. <clears throat> That demolition hobby, it sounds like your hobby is making demolitions. Well, or studying them. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, so I, I, I agree with you, but you see what I'm saying, too, I imagine. It's, well, it's like you say, everything has two meanings. I if you see. only give one thing, people who are not, say, so open-minded may not realize that that's what he was saying. Well, of course they may not realize it, but, again, as I said, mm-hmm. you can twist and turn Absolutely. anything. If you feel like it. And I would challenge people to come up with a better phrase for that. Um, well, I, what I just said is what I think you should use. Demolition researcher. Also, uh, a researcher, though. It was his hobby to study demolition. I think the word is avocational. That might work out better. An avocational what? Demolition? I, know. I don't know. I don't get hung up on it. It's okay with me. You see, these... For one thing, whatever he does, studying demolition as a hobby... Um, is not very common. So there's no term for it. So you have to make one. Um, but, I mean, anyway, if they look into Brad's history, he's never demolished anything. So, you know, what what is it all about? Well, it's manufacturing um, insults, really. Well, that's what that that's what one of these uh, well, this uh, screw 911 mysteries is about. And and most of the characters who are paid to do this as this individual or individuals were. And, and we've quoted other people who have written um, for Rolling Stone and, and, I guess, National Review and such. And it's really right to the ad hominem attacks, uh, vulgarity quite often, and they don't have to stand behind any blanket statements they make. And I want to give you an example of one of them that caught, that caught me. Um, but before we go any further, I just want to let everybody know that we're talking to Sophia Smallstorm. She is the documentary filmmaker. It is called 9-11 Mysteries, and we have with us also... Um, Retired Sergeant Matthew Tartagli, we're talking about 9-11, folks. Again, if you want to make comments or questions, send them on in. We've got a few, and then I'm going to uh, bring something up to you, Sophia, which I think is uh, when they talk about straw arguments or what I would call distraction uh, that this uh, that these uh, folks did who made Screw 9-11 Mysteries, which is such a wonderfully academic title to begin with. Um, we have a couple of things. Uh, somebody said, I guess this goes back in reference to the 9-11, uh, 9/11 uh, singles thing. It says... Um, I'll be going to dinner with a couple of professors and will try to keep my mouth shut most of the time. They are somewhat clueless and know that I am not. Yeah, social gatherings are sometimes rough to, to want to brook 9-11 issues. Also, somebody wants to know, if, um, are, do you have any Native American blood in you? Who, me? Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, and thirdly, somebody would like to know perhaps some of the, um, I guess, parameters of, of uh, equipment you use and such uh, for making the documentary. Um, he's a Canadian that's been on the show. Uh, would you be opposed if I uh, sent his email along to uh, perhaps provide whatever information you could? Sure. Okay. Now, <clears throat> and I'll do that right after the show. Here's one of the things that bugs me that I caught. Um, the uh, film talks about, uh, I guess, uh, the information that uh, you uh, had about uh, the firefighters, Oreo and Palmer, and the uh, communications they had with other personnel in the NYFD in that South Tower. Now, 
we have Oreo uh, stating that there are two, uh, there are, uh, a small fires on the 73rd floor that can be knocked down with two hoses. Uh, so the, this other thing goes on to say, this uh, hit piece goes on to say, well, the fires were really on the 83rd and they were red hot. And here's the one thing, and I don't know if you thought about this, and this isn't a big aha find, Sophia, but I mean, here to me, using mainstream news, shows one of the biggest contradictions that there is. We know the transcripts, the, the, the transmissions, took place to the very moment the South Tower collapsed top to bottom. Are, are you agreed with that? Yeah. That the transmissions were ended um, at the time of its 958 or whatever when the South Tower collapsed. So I don't care if there's fire on the 83rd, 82nd, 80th, 75th. Here's the point. If that building is we're led to believe, burnt to a crisp, top to bottom, okay, and then dropped in however, however many seconds, 8 or 10, why would anybody be alive and active in a building that should have been an absolute crematory? You see my point? So it's like, how can these guys be in there on whatever floor? And obviously conversing with other personnel, and, and all of a sudden, what, what is it? I mean, they get they get they get flashed, uh, fried at the moment, you know, that the tower collapses. You see where I'm going with this? If it's going to be hot top to bottom, how can you have anybody in there that's that's alive and well? You know? I know. And one of the criticisms levied at the movie when I say is that um, witnesses weren't or survivors didn't discuss, um, didn't talk about the you know heat in the towers. Um, people said. Well, they weren't alive to talk about it. But the point is, I'm, I'm talking about people who survived it, so they were alive. But again, you can go around and around and around in these arguments, because what people are really doing is they are taking things out of context. context. They're even um, destroying the use of the English language. I mean, I looked up hobbyist right now in the dictionary. And um, it says, for hobby, a pursuit outside one's regular occupation engaged in, especially for relaxation. So a hobbyist would be someone who has a pursuit outside one's regular occupation. So if demo demolitions is a pursuit, we are assuming this is a study of demolitions. This can be a very broad um, encapsulation. But there's no point putting hairs with people like this because that's what they want you to do is engage on their level. And you'll waste your time. You'll never do anything else productive. Well, we like to call it um, sometimes um, the, uh, the tar baby syndrome where uh, somebody challenges you and you feel you have to defend the work you've done or your honor or whatever, and then you get involved. And before you know it, you can't extricate yourself from it. It's also like we call uh, trying to uh, wrestle with seaweed, which is one of the reasons why I don't defend myself in blogs and such, because it's just a place, as you, are, I think, are alluding to, to drain your resources, take up your time, and make sure you don't do anything else productive. Um, in this case, though, I will say two things. One, I didn't mind taking that up myself uh, because I've been there before, and when I do state this and I say, go look in the New York Times, read it for yourself, you tell me how somebody can be alive in a building that is, that is a, an inferno top to bottom. You can't have it both ways, folks. And you know what? That stops it right then and there. At least it has to my satisfaction. Uh, Matthew, you got anything you want to weigh in on with that? Well, I, I, I happen to agree with um, the statement that, it, you know, if you want to split hairs and everything like that, uh, that you're really, I think, taking away from yourself. Uh, you know, like you said, you know, why get on a blog and defend what you already believe? If you have to defend it, you're more or less uh, saying, I don't really believe it, so here's some more proof, or here's some more of my energy. And I do agree with Sophia that you can, you know, misconstrue any word you want. But I found it extremely interesting and uh, applaudable even that uh, Sophia would say, well, I know this man. And, um, and and stick up for him. I think that that is a, a very telling uh, uh, a very telling of who she is, what type of person she is. So we're not talking about, in my opinion, anyway. I mean, I've never met this woman in person or any or I've spoke to her at any other time. Uh, she sure does not sound like some kind of dingbat to me. <laughs> who just says whatever comes to her mind right. because she likes to see what she writes or hear her voice on, on video. Uh, Sophia, I want to thank you for sending along um, that new edition of the uh, documentary, and I sent that along to Matthew, so he's, he's seen the very latest, by the way. Yes, I think it's fantastic. 
I think it's very fantastic. I think there's a lot of things that have been really touched upon, and and it, but you've done it in a really uh, layman's type of way, where for instance, the use of the heater, where you're you're showing the use of the heater and, and everything like that, and you know how this works and how all these different things work, and they work all day long, all night long, and they've been working and they're going to continue to work. Uh, I think you did a fantastic job. Well, I just want you to know that's my heater. I heat my house with jet fuel. No, 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 you guys, listen. My house is freezing. I can't get it warm enough with jet fuel, okay? So how do you bring the towers down? Exactly. I, I agree, a thousand percent, you know. And then this business about uh, only wood makes uh, dark... Uh, unburned fuel marks as i.e. smoke, please, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, even oil that's burning, it does not burn all of the oil, so there is unburned black oil, so, I mean, you could take this thing apart for a long time. It's not worth it, as I say. You know, you have to, every word in that narration was studied over and over and over to make sure that it wasn't wasteful, it didn't convey some kind of ambiguity, and I did the very best I could, and I am open to suggestions. If you don't like something in the narration, mail me a suggestion as to how it could be improved without changing the meaning. Now, this is very important in editing. Editing is an art in and of itself. Writing is one thing, editing is another thing. And we have to be precise. The language is a standard. Mm -hmm. If I were to watch Screw 9-11 Mysteries, I would be fascinated to listen to their use of language or read it, because I think it's apparently just written comments. And I'm telling you, I could slice and dice from here mm -hmm. to eternity on that alone. What we're dealing with here, obviously, is the lack of an ability to debate. So in other words, you come out with what you come out with and you said, I mean, in an hour and 90 minutes, you're only going to be able to touch so many bases, and that was the intent. Well, then someone else comes back on, last word, if you will, and then extrapolates, does things, attacks other stuff. And then, of course, it would make more sense in a debate type of format that there would be a response to that, which there may or may not be. And I'm not saying, you know, you're, you're intending to do that. But it's the old bit about, you know, for the people who really don't want the truth, a lot of them will take the last word said. You know what I mean? And they'll go with that if it, if it suits them. And, and like you said, Sophia, I mean, you're not gonna, you can't change the hearts and minds of an entire nation if they don't want it to be that way. Right. And the other thing that I'd like to say um, is that I tried to make a beautiful movie, not just a factual movie or a science-based movie. I wanted to make a beautiful movie. So I had another goal as well, right? And art is a living thing. And there are plenty of people who have emailed me and called me and said, you know, I love your movie except for this one thing. And they tell me what it is and they ask me to take it out. And after listening to these kinds of little objections over a period of several months, it dawned on me that if I took out everything that everybody didn't like, mm -hmm. guess what? <laughs> You'd have nothing yet. Yeah. yeah, nothing here. Yeah. So the thing has to add up. It's, there's stuff in the movie I don't like, but I put it in there because other people wanted it in there. So the whole thing together has affected millions of people. Well, okay. I'm, I'm glad you said that too, Sophia, because people sometimes, and they don't mean this um, derogatorily or, or negatively, but, and I know this just a little bit myself, but in your case, it's much more magnified. You have people out there who do care, were touched by your work, and are trying to obviously do something uh, they think would enhance, like, maybe the next edition. But what they don't realize is that there's, you know, 4,000 of them. <laughs> you know, the person who has to be a recipient of this, I mean, it, it, what is meant to be well-intentioned can sometimes just be, you know, a little overwhelming and... Uh, and it's only being human, without a doubt. I, I happen to like it just fine. If I were to stay here and tell you the messages I get about your uh, documentary and how much they like it, it would be redundant, but, it, you know, that's what everybody comes in with. And I know Matthew felt the same way, and so did I. Yeah. Uh, and well, I'm not trying to sound defensive. I understand that people like it, and it, it has an effect. And most of all, it has an emotional effect on people, and that's what gives it its viral um, quality. People want to pass this on because they were affected by this. 
It's not just the information. Well, and you know, the other thing is, I'm, I'm just going to take a wild guess. If not, let me be the first one to deposit this. Does anybody ever accuse you of being too nice? Me? Too nice? Yeah. Oh, I don't think so. Well, you just have been. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wired and geared a little bit differently than you, I know, and, uh, and I'm glad you take the stance you do. It ticks me off to a great extent, and sometimes, you know, I just think, Something's got to be said or done. Uh, it never really does completely answer the situation, but I do think there's some merit to it at times. I don't make a habit out of it, but I will say this, Sophia, and I know this is going to be a little bit on the dark side, but I want to ask you this also. You don't have to get involved with naming names, but something that's become very, very apparent, uh, palpable, and disconcerting. And uh, I'm going to go to Sophia first with this, and Matthew, tell me if, if you picked up on this. I don't know if it's the time of the season or what's coming up or just an extension of a, a dialectic going on around the world, but it seems to me there's an awful lot of uh, spooks and traitors and uh, two-faces and quislings that are popping up everywhere, supposedly on the right side of the street. And this is something I think, you know, is becoming very problematic. Probably something that also prods me to want to address some of this stuff because I tell you what, these creatures are coming out of the woodwork at this time in our lives. Sophia, so first of all, have you experienced anything like that? Well, I know that in 9-11, everybody's fond of calling everybody else a spook. I've been called a federal agent. There are people who insist that everything in my profile fits out of a federal agent. So I'm not going to go into the details on the air, but I can tell you, I, it's laughable. It's hyster hysterical. Mm. It's hysterical myself. And I, <laughs> people call you a federal agent, but that's just my own opinion. Well, I think it's because female federal agents are too nice, right? That's how they get through. No, not at all. Through. No, not but at all. How do you know? Because I, I, I don't think you come across as a federal agent. Well, there you are. I mean, it's, again, perception. So to get back to the question of spooks and traitors and quizlings, um, I think that human nature explains an awful lot of this. Humans cannot get along. And I think we have been manipulated. Our natural cooperation, um, which does exist, if you were the only person on the earth and you knew about fire, and it helped you in whatever you were doing, survival. And then let's say you ran into a second person and found out you weren't the only person on the earth. He didn't know about fire. You did. You would show him fire, and he would show you something. And that's how we naturally are. We are here to augment and help each other's existence. But this has been manipulated by the powers that be, so our natural cooperation is devolved into um, competition which is further manipulated and devolved into conflict, which is further manipulated and devolved into the most base form of human existence, which is animalistic. Mm -hmm. Eat or be eaten, kill or be killed. Absolutely. Back to so, Olympic thinking. Yes. So we can be cooperative and loving and live in harmony, but we are manipulated into being each other's enemy and finding um, fault and um, not trusting one another and then accusing each other and naming that person worthy of being dead. You know, that's what we do. It's kill or be killed. Look at what's happening globally. So this isn't who we are naturally. And I think that we're here to transcend all this if it's at all possible. And every moment of the day, you have choice. You can make a choice as to whether to do something or think something positive or negative. And I'm not talking new age frou-frou here. I'm talking make a decision in every moment that benefits you and others together, not just you. Sophia, at this time, uh, please talk about the website uh, and the, uh, the DVD and, and what, uh, what's new out there with regard to uh, the content. Well, I found some other footage of squibs. I improved the squib section. I also was contacted by a woman from NBC, a camera woman, um, and she sent me some footage that she had shot, which I included. And then I clarified a few other things. I hit um, Larry Silverstein a little harder. I found that he had received about $3.4 in Liberty um, bonds and uh, added to the $4.65 that he eventually got in insurance settlements. 
came to $8.05 billion. So I upped his lovely $7 billion, which was his initial award, although he didn't collect on it, to $8 billion. So that um, was in there. And uh, what else? Um, I clarified a few things in the text. There was wind load that the towers were getting from the hurricane force winds, and I compared those in a text addition to the impact of the uh, jetliner. Um, because a lot of people, these are things that people don't really understand. And once again, you can't footnote the whole movie. So here and there, I threw in little clarifications. But I would say the footage itself is probably less than 10% different. And if you don't know the movie very, very well, you would not even notice where it's changed. So it's effectively the same movie. Also, as, as you know, I like, and I think it's a very good source of people, too, especially if they want to do anything based on the research. There are people who are uh, brave enough um, in academic settings to want to take this on when the uh, situation presents itself in their, in their studies. And uh, having something like that transcript there makes it much, much easier and more powerful when they want to go ahead and quote. Um, you know, when you have electronic resources, you kind of like lose it. Like you just said, too, before, you know, the thing is uh, movies, documentaries, uh, visual uh, material does not come with, with uh, footnotes and, and, or endnotes or, or bibliographies. For the most part, at the end, yes, you can have them. But you don't have that expanded capability. And if you did, it would be boring and nobody would watch it. Exactly. But with that transcript, um, I think that's a, a pretty heavy uh, tool to use. And that's oh, the narrator script on the website. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It helps people to translate as well. You know, people are doing translations, which is amazing, uh, mm -hmm. by themselves. I know. That, that's no small task. And I see that that... I, I guess the number of languages that are, are now available are, uh, are growing yep. pretty rapidly. Someone's working on Portuguese, someone's working on Italian, and um, we've had inquiries about Japanese, so I think there's somebody doing the Japanese as well. Um, you know, one of the things that um, the statements that are being made by those who uh, decry what really happened in 9-11, and it happened, again, in this particular situation, and I, I wish for you to speak to it, if you would, from what you've uh, done research-wise. I've seen this so many times, Sophia, it's almost like, you know, it just it's standard procedure for all these characters. One of the things they do is they try to take the high ground by talking about the structural damage that the planes did to the towers and how that was responsible for somehow dropping them. First of all, there's never been anything to indicate there was structural damage of a radical kind. I mean, we're still dealing, I'm sorry, with aluminum tubes, folks. And um, that's not going to win out when it hits a building, uh, the trade towers or otherwise. Um, and secondly, okay, so we have damage. Uh, what does that do to the underpinnings of the floor? We're not talking about the building. We're not talking about the fifth floor or so. So have you encountered this bit about this blanket, um, unchallenged statement about the structural damage that the planes did to the towers? Well, of course. And then one thing I would say in response is, well, let's just look at Building 7. That wasn't hit by a plane, and that came down just as fast, basically, as the Twin Towers, if you compare its size to the size of the tower. Six and a half seconds, down to the ground, you know, completely gone. So where was, where's the logic that they're using applied to Building 7? And then the second thing that I would say is we're looking at time itself proving to us that the impact of the planes didn't do much to the towers. They stood there. Mm -hmm. They stood there for an hour in one case and almost an hour and a half in the other. And they didn't get worse, you know. I agreed. Mm -hmm. They stood there. They would have stood there with those holes in them if no one had repaired the holes. So the jet plane impact was the magician's trick. It, it was what was necessary in order for the public to believe um, that the towers came down, um, that the towers didn't come down because of some other method. We all saw the planes hitting the towers, so an hour later they fall. Well, it had to be because the planes hit them because that never happened before. Right. So the public is simplistic. Well, I, I tell you what, again, even the other day, I had a chance to talk to a neighbor. And, and I, you know, you're going to yell at me for this, but... <clears throat> I still go back to saying the people who are older and had a clue and have seen decades of history and are very well aware of the um, prevarication that the government has uh, performed upon us for the last, who knows what, 100 or 200 years, um, you get a chance to talk to somebody and talk logic. 
And if they can just park all their presuppositions, and if they're asked to, to, to tell me how they know what they know and where that comes from and how they can trust that, you know what? They re- they, it really isn't a hard sell. The thing you come up against, of course, though, are for those who, who automatically go to the end of the line to the, go- to the end result and realize, oh, well, I guess our government really isn't our friend. And we went through that the last time around. Uh, so I think when you do get a chance to talk to them and let them use some kind of logic and think about the way things really react, it isn't, it isn't so hard to sell. And I don't know if you get into conversations, and I'm going to ask you and then Matthew, uh, do you ever get a chance, like on the street or, with, you know, in, in a happenstance way I've been dis- uh, describing it, about being able to talk to somebody about it and go, okay, look, you know, go figure it out, but ask yourself, you know, this, that, and the other. Does that happen to you outside your role as a DVD producer, a, a documentary producer? Sure, and I must say that, you know, I probably have about the same success rate as everyone else. I lose more than I win. <laughs> I mean, I tell people the towers came down in 10 seconds, 110 stories, that's 10 floors a second. Now, how does that happen unless something is blowing the floors out of the way? And I use my hands. I do this with my hands, and I can see their eyes widening. Now, I've created my little independent thinker's 9-11 fact sheet, the postcard, right. and that is a great help. I carry that with me at all times, and I hand one to somebody, and I have them read one fact, just one fact. Explain that fact to me, and they can. So that helps. But, you know, it's really hit and miss. It's all about consciousness. You'll hit someone at the right moment. Mm-hmm. Something will have happened yesterday. It's about exposure. 9-11 is a sales thing between five to eight exposures and they'll buy so maybe somebody told them yesterday and they said oh you know you're the third person to tell me this now in a week hey matt yeah, i'm sorry sophia no, no they're more in uh, prone uh, they're more whatever inclined inclined to to listening mm-hmm. uh, matthew uh, have you uh, had a chance to pitch uh, your experiences or what, what we're sharing here? Actually, you know the one person who uh, had the hardest time with it, uh, the newspaper fellow. Okay. And that's about it. Everybody else that I speak to, they either respect what I'm saying and they say, look, you know what? I was not there. I do not have any of the training you have. And therefore, everything I'm saying is based on hope that our government would not be involved, hope that there's an explanation that makes everything okay so I, them, can sleep at night. And and, and, uh, the last thing that people say to me all the time is, how can anybody truly know when we when we still are trying to find out what happened to John F. Kennedy, what happened to Pearl Harbor, what happened to the taxes, why do we pay income tax, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that's very true, and I'm going to leave it off with this. I was at a party right a gathering right after 9-11, I guess about the 9-11-2001, that is. And um, someone said, do you have your pin that they had purchased? And, of course, my pin did not come from a store. It had come from uh, an award. And I said, yes, I am wearing my pin, but I didn't buy mine. A lot of people are in this Me Too-ism that they want to be a part of it. And they create a lot of havoc, a lot of uh, dissent by pointing fingers. And I, and I like to just say, just remember, for when you point one finger forward at somebody, three more are pointing back at you. So until you're, you're, you're cleaned up and you got all your P's and Q's in order, it really there's nothing to say. And I'll tell you the truth, I've been arguing less and less with people because I realize uh, a man or woman changed against their will is of the same opinion still. Sophia, I'd like to ask you something, and uh, this might be speculation, but still in all, I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Um, One of the things uh, with our show uh, from its inception five years ago is that we were never Democrats nor Republicans. Uh, Both Harry and myself gave up that little uh, theater um, a long time ago. However, um, I find that, that Democrats would cleave to what I do because they think I'm whacking Bush in a Republican administration, which I'm not. I, you know, whoever's in the Oval Office, they do what they're supposed to do. 
So well, let me ask you this. One, um, I don't even know if you think political parties make a difference, but if you don't, what I'd like to ask you is, are you, if we see the Democrats uh, take the Oval Office as they have the Hill, do you think that there will be some dropping off of support for finding out what really happened on 9-11 because a lot of Democrats were on board just to have it be attached to uh, uh, Bush and Republicans? Do I think there's going to be a dropping of support? You mean, do I think they're going to be less likely to look into 9-11? Yes, one, uh, whether that, one, you've, uh, that's become uh, tangible already, or two, if it hasn't, uh, do you think that's a possibility that this will start to get uh, partisan when it really isn't, I don't think, a partisan issue? No. I mean, I think that the people in Congress very quickly learn what they're supposed to talk about and what they aren't supposed to talk about. And that's part of the whole charade. Um, we are, there's a social engineering that has been going mm -hmm. on, and it is affecting everybody on all levels of this country. This is... Um, 9-11 is the boogeyman under our own bed, and nobody wants to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And just because there are Democrats in Washington now isn't going to make any difference. Agreed. They're paid off the same way, bought off the same way as the Republicans. Um, we have um, uh, two individuals uh, from uh, upstate New York, the Utica for 9-11 Truth, <clears throat> who came out of being Democrats, and I was too. I mean, I, was, I guess that, that's where I was, but, of course... In 2000, I realized, you know, why bother? It's just a, a shadow show. But um, I think that they're experiencing that there might be a, a sudden um, a dousing of the flame, if you will, uh, from the Republican end of things, as it looks like they may take over the situation. And that's unfortunate, but again, that's human nature as well. Uh, but I, I really wish people would look at this not as bush bashing or anything, except we're dealing with the nature of government. And of course, we talked about this last time out, and I, and I believe you agreed that we have to take a look at all governments and wonder right now what their function is and if do they really do. Um, are they really advocates of their uh, citizenry or are they adversaries? Well, you can. I point to, to other examples. Domestic examples are very good. Ask yourself why they put fluoride in our toothpaste and drinking water, right. aluminum chlorohydrate in our deodorant, and aspartame in our soft drinks. Why? Is it just error, omission, that the FDA approves these substances? No, that's not the answer. So ask a normal person why in three everyday items there are these neurotoxins and ask them to figure it out. Population control. Yeah. So there's something else going on. That's right. So 9-11 is just um, baby food. Part of it, right, exactly. I believe you're right. that. It's a part of a chain. It's just one link in a long chain that's been wrapped around our collective throats for generations and generations and generations and generations. We, have, we were born slaves. We will die slaves. And the best we can do is fight the good fight in the meantime. I, um, I uh, look back in time. I try to find as many books of antiquity, and I'm talking about anything as old as, as 60, 70 years old, or even before, but it really gets very interesting in the 20th century. As I look over one of the books in my library, I'm looking at, uh, which is kind of hard to get through, but Trotsky's Terrorism and Communism. Uh, also, um, I refer back to when a Republican in 1955 warned in a two-part speech at Yale that you should be very, very wary of giving up uh, liberty for security. This in 1955, and that was in the face of the boogeyman at that time, which was more ideological than what we face now, and that is, of course, the Red Scare and communism. I think, Sophia, what's alarming, and I think that also people should gird themselves emotionally uh, and their families as well, is that this little terrorism card has been played always by governments. And this individual, by the way, and Sophia, if you ever do any research on him, it's kind of hard to find stuff, but his name is John Lord O'Brien. And he gave that speech, uh, Security in an Age of Anxiety. Very, very prescient. But what's happened now also, terrorism has, has been brought back out again, and I think it's ramped up the most severely it ever has been, certainly in my lifetime and perhaps in uh, the whole existence of the United States. Uh, and 9-11, and is it not, as you see it, an, an element of terrorism that can serve maybe two purposes, and one is to supposedly justify aggression abroad and justify fascism at home? Well, sure. I mean, it's to create and perpetuate fear, and fearful people are more easily controlled. 
they also have wilder imaginations. They'll also believe more. Yeah, and they'll lend themselves more to, um, I think, and here's where we, we, we look at it. Uh, and Matthew, too, let me go to you first, and Sophie, if you want to chime in on this. But what we see the state becoming is more expansive with everything that has occurred. And many would argue since the Civil War, we have become more monarchical, and that's been on, uh, on purpose. Uh, but what it's doing now is like an abusive parent where it will obviously inflict a pain on its citizenry and then show up to, um, to do something to um, uh, ameliorate the wounds and then go ahead and do it again. Now, apparently, this has a very, very uh, strong impact on, on real victims, children and also on spouses. Uh, and so are we seeing the same thing here where the state is, is now actually behind the scenes inflicting the damage and then coming up and wearing the white hat and saying, okay, I'll take care of you? Well, sure, it's that Hegelian thing, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, or more simply problem, reaction, solution. solution. I, don't, I think you asked Matthew, though. I'm sorry, Matthew. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I believe that problem, reaction, solution is exactly what's going on here. I do believe that when over the, the course of the next couple of years, all of what we're talking about will become abundantly clear. Uh, the fact that anybody, anybody could question that this is not an inside job, not a complete lie, not something for... I, this is right here, I think, the ultimate wag the dog. Uh, I, I really do. I don't know what our eyes are being taken off of, but I sure have ideas. And I have to tell you, it scares me. Because I, I wonder, the one thing that I never hear anybody, no one, ask, is what is the world going to look like? What is life going to be if these, quote, powers that be get their way? What, what, what is there to be? What, what's life going to be about? Read 1984. 1984, you know what? I'll cut my wrist from my elbow to my uh, uh, armpit as soon as I'm done killing as many people as I can. <laughs> All right, listen, I'm going to have to hold that as a last word, and I'm going to ask you to give uh, an email to Sophia just in case she might want to ask something in time to come or at least have you there as a resource. Absolutely. Um, Sophia, you got the last word. Is there anything coming up now also um, with your endeavors uh, as far as there's a wonderful conference in Phoenix, Arizona, February 23rd, 24th, 25th. It's called 9-11 Accountability, and it is at a resort hotel. I hope people will come. I really encourage you. There are 50 speakers who have already committed. Matthew, if you can come, it would be fantastic. Um, it's, again, Phoenix, Arizona, February 23rd, 24th, 25th, and if you go to 911 Accountability. Org, you will find out more about it. But I really want to plug this conference. I'm helping them organize it. I'm going to be there. There are going to be lots of people accessible. We'll all be able to meet each other and, and inspire each other because ultimately this is about inspiration. And I'm saying we are connecting. Look, Matthew, I'm connected to you now. That's Don't a very important development no in my life. And it's no small thing. And as we find each other, this is about unity. And I remember that.
Make it all alone. Who you think you're fooling? 